If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so we've talked in this series uh, about how God gave the greatest gift of all, his son Jesus, when he sent him to this earth. And then the second week, uh, we looked at uh, how uh, the gifts that we give are um, uh, made up and how we can inspire people. And then last week, we talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit and, and what he means for our lives. And so today... I want to take a little different angle in this series because we've been talking about how God gives us gifts and how we should come to him with a list, with a prayer list, with a needs list, with a wish list, and we should ask him for things because he loves to give gifts to his children. But today we're going to talk about how we can respond to God by giving him gifts. And uh, the question really at the heart of today is, what do you give someone that has everything? Like some of you, you may shop for people, you, you may still be thinking like I've got a two days left to come up with something that they could actually use uh, because there's people in our lives that they, they have everything they need, right? They have everything that they need and when we think of gifts that we could give them, it's hard. We rack our brains, we think what could we give them that they don't already have or what could we give them that might impress them or that they might enjoy and it's difficult the older we get in life because we've accumulated so much that there's not a lot that we need. And when I think about giving gifts to God, the creator of the universe, it's a humbling thought to think the truth is I have nothing that I can give God that he doesn't already have, except for one thing that we'll talk about at the end of our time together. So God has everything. What can we give him? I want to look at a story uh, of some magi, some wise men who came and they gave gifts to baby Jesus, to the newborn Savior, to Christ. And I want us to learn from the gifts that they gave Jesus and put into practice some, some gifts that we can give Jesus through our lives. Are you ready? We're going to look at three groups of people. We're going to look at three types of gifts. And then we're going to challenge one another at the end of our time together with a Christmas offering and giving God our best. Uh, so let's jump into this. It's Matthew Chapter number two, I'm going to read verses one through 12. Let me just read through so you can get the context of this story, and then we'll focus in on a few verses. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, here's the question for you. How many wise men came and presented gifts? Three. That's what we all said. Actually, we don't know. We know they gave three different gifts, but we don't know how many gifts there were. Trick question. I got somebody. And they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened the treasures and presented with him gifts of gold, 
Frankincense and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those were the three gifts that they gave Jesus. Verse 12, And after having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Well, let's look real quickly at, at three groups of people that we find here in this text. First, there's the Magi. There's the wise men from the east, possibly, and probably from the land surrounding Iraq or Iran. And they had heard or they had seen a star. They had a revelation that the king of the Jews had been born. And as was customary in their day when royalty was born, they would go and present gifts. This was customary in that time period. This was customary uh, in that region of the world. And so uh, they got word, whether it was divinely through the star or whether word of mouth got back to him through messengers that the king of the Jews had been born. And so they set out on a mission following a star to present gifts to honor this new king. And so their mission in this story is to present gifts to Jesus that would honor him, that would be fitting for his life that he was to live. And we'll talk about the importance of the gifts they gave and the meaning of those in just a minute. But the second person that we see in this story is King Herod. King Herod was an evil ruler King Herod uh, heard that the wise men were asking, the Magi were asking when and where this child had been born. And he immediately went into a mode to try to uh, remove Christ, this new king, from the earth. In fact, uh, he, he got a group of people, a group of priests together, and he began to ask them where the Christ was to be born so that he could give information to the wise men with hopes that they would go in their worship to the King Jesus and come back and report to him where this new king, where this baby had been born because he wanted to go and eliminate this child. And as this part of the story ended, we see that the Magi received word through a dream that they were not to go back to Herod. And since they didn't return to Herod and he knew that they didn't come, he actually issued a decree to kill all the newborns that were two years and under because he thought in killing all the newborns he could kill this king. That's how passionate he was about dishonoring the king. So we've got the Magi, the wise men, whose mission was to come and present gifts in worship to honor this new king. And then we've got King Herod, who was on the opposite end of that spectrum, who had nothing but hate for this child, who had nothing in his heart to offer, but only wanted to take the very existence of this king and remove him from the earth. And then right in the middle, we've got a group of of priests and prophets. And we see that Herod um, got together with the Magi to find exactly when the star appeared to them. He gives them instructions. And he got together with the priests and the teachers of the law. And he asked them where the child was to be born. He didn't have the knowledge to give to the Magi. And so he got together a group of people that he thought would know priests, teachers of the law, the religious people of the day, the people who would have known the Old Testament law with prophecies concerning the Messiah, the Christ that was to come, that would be born. And so he consulted with them. And, and oftentimes we look over this, I, I've always looked over this, but it just kind of became glaring to me that King Herod came and said, hey, I've heard word that a new baby has been born, the king of the Jews. Apparently this has been prophesied about, what do you know? What do you know? Where would this child be born? And they, they referred to the Old Testament prophecies that they knew. They re referred to God's word that they knew. And they said, he'll be born in, in Bethlehem in Judea. 
And that's all that we hear of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They knew that he was to come. They would have been taught to expect him. They would have now gotten word that he was here, that he'd been born, that people were looking for him. And they gave information as to where he could be, but never bothered to go and see him for themselves. Never bothered to go and worship him. Never bothered to go and present gifts themselves. This was a group of indifferent people who knew about the king, who knew about God that was to become in flesh here on the earth, but when they were faced with the reality of his birth, they didn't really do much with it. So they had this knowledge of the Christ, of the Messiah that was to come, but never really acted upon it. And so just like these three groups of people that we find in this story, I think there's three groups of people in life. There's those who want to honor King Jesus. There's those who want to give gifts that would be worthy of who he is, that want to present him with lives and gifts that would honor him. And there's those who could care less about Jesus. They don't claim to follow Jesus. They don't have anything to do with Jesus. In fact, they want to remove Jesus from their lives and surround themselves by people who don't claim to follow Jesus. And then the most dangerous group are those who are just indifferent, who know about Christ, who are around Christ, who understand the things of Christ, but never really act upon who he is and what he means and and what he offers for us. And so they never really present him with gifts. They're just around people who do. They see and they talk with people who are eager to find Jesus and eager to present Jesus with gifts that would honor him, but they're just indifferent. And so the question for us is, what group are we in? Do we want to honor God? Do we want to remain far from him? Are we just indifferent? And so I'm going to speak to us today on the assumption that we want to be part of the group like the Magi, the wise men, who, who want to honor Christ, who understand that he was sent to the earth for a reason, that he came and he offers us good gifts, and in return, in response to that, we want to honor him. We want to present him with ourselves, with lives, with gifts that are fitting of his existence. And so with that assumption, and, and if you don't fit into that category, then you can just kind of tune out for the next few moments together. But assuming that we all want to honor God, And assuming that the question is, what do you give someone who's got everything? And especially, what do you give God when he created everything? He doesn't need anything. What do you give him? So I want to take a few minutes. I want to look at these three gifts that the Magi presented Jesus. I want us to talk about the significance of those gifts. And then I want us to practically speak as to how we can apply some principles from these gifts to our lives and make sure that we're always giving Christ good gifts. The first gift that the Magi gave to the child Jesus would would have been gold. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold would have basically been a gift, a treasure. First it says that they gave from their treasure, so they weren't bringing like leftovers and scraps. They were bringing their treasures to present to Jesus. This was a sign of recognizing the royalty that Jesus represented, recognizing that he was a king. This wasn't just any ordinary child born into any ordinary family. This was the savior of the world, but specifically as they had known, the king of the Jews. And so a new king had been born, and and by way of tradition, they were to go to this new king and offer gifts, and the gold that they offered basically stated to Jesus' mother and father, and ultimately to Jesus, that we recognize that you are royalty. We recognize that you're not just an ordinary kid, that you are the king of the Jews. We recognize that you're 
royalty. And so as they presented this gift, it would have been a sacrificial gift to honor the king. This wouldn't have been just reserved for Jesus. If, if other kings, if other royal families had children, they would have done the same thing. But in doing this, you've got to understand that they recognized that Jesus wasn't an ordinary child. And so the question for us, if we're going to give good gifts to Christ, to God, especially this Christmas season, is do we recognize that Jesus isn't just another person, another figure, a, a historical account of someone who lived an incredible life that we read about and, and died and isn't with us anymore, apparently went to be at the right hand of the Father in heaven? Do we recognize that, that this is the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Do we recognize in our hearts that he's not just a leader worth following, he's not just an influential person, but this was, this was the Christ, the anointed one, this was the Messiah, the one sent from God. This was the King, not just of the Jews, this revelation tells us the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so if he's to have that place in our lives, then we need to give gifts that ultimately declare to him that we recognize your royalty, that you're king, that you're not just an ordinary person. And so the question becomes for us again, like, well, what, what do we give him? We don't, most of us have lots of gold aside from potential jewelry as they would have in this day. And so our currency today looks a little different from their currency there. But we can give gifts sacrificially from our treasure, from our earthly treasure, that I think honor King Jesus. Let me read a scripture to you. This is Matthew chapter number 6, starting in verse number 19. It says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on the earth. Remember, they gave of their treasures. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is such a defining verse for us to understand our allegiance to a king. For us to understand if we really recognize and present something that represents the truth of our heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So our hearts follow our treasures. So our treasures here on this earth are indicators of where our heart is. And if our heart truly is recognizing that Christ is king, then it will be reflected in our earthly treasures. I believe that with all my heart. In fact, that's why the, the Bible teaches us that we're to give a percentage of our income back to God, to return it to him. In fact, the Bible teaches us that uh, 10% of the income, the increase that we take in in this earth, it actually doesn't even belong to us. It belongs to the Lord and that we're to return it to him. And so the question for us when it comes to giving good gifts is, uh, is our treasure reflecting a heart condition that Jesus is our king, that our allegiance with, is with him? Verse 24 of that passage goes on to say, that no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, some say be devoted to the other, or he will despise the one, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then listen to this. You cannot serve both God and money. I know we don't like to talk about money in church, but the Bible here is, is pretty clear that, that money becomes a rival 
to God in our life. And sometimes if, if we're not careful, and if we don't tell our money how it's going to be spent or stewarded or managed, then our money will tell us how we're going to live our lives. And our treasure can indicate our heart condition, and so it's important for us, if we're truly going to give gifts that would honor King Jesus, to recognize that it's important for us to put a priority on giving of our personal treasures, our finances, to God. I believe it's through the local church. And so if you want to give gifts that honor God this Christmas season, I want you to kind of look at, look at your giving, look at your treasures, look at your bank accounts, look at your assets, and ask yourself, am I doing anything with my earthly treasures, which is all from God, by the way, that reflects and that I recognize that he's my king, that my allegiance is with him? And if you're not, then you can start. If you can't start with a lot, you can start small. If you're already small and you, you want to increase, you can increase. But our goal would be to be as generous as we can with the resources that God's provided for us because in doing so, we're showing God, we're showing Christ that we're devoted to him, that our allegiance is with him, that he is our king, and that our treasures don't run our lives, but our lives indicate where our treasures will go and our treasure is going to reveal that our heart is in love with King Jesus. That's the, that's the first thing that the wise men gave was, was the gift of gold. The second gift that the magi, the wise men gave to King Jesus was, was frankincense. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Frankincense was an interesting gift. It would have been a, a more interesting gift than gold. Obviously, gold would have recognized the royalty and would have been something that obviously would have been useful to the family, but frankincense was... It, it, was a, it was a spice, it was a perfume, it, it was more of an interesting object for them to give. In the Old Testament times, they would have had temples, and in the temples there would have been an altar of incense. Okay? And in this altar of incense, frankincense would have been one of the ingredients in the anointing oil that they would have burned in the altar of incense. And it would have given off a white smoke, which would have represented the presence of God. And this altar of incense burned night and day. And priests would go in and they would continually make these offerings and keep this altar of incense burning, representing the presence of God in their life. And so when the Magi came and presented the gift of frankincense to Jesus, they were basically saying, we recognize that you're a king, but we also recognize that you're divine, that you're from God, that you're not just an ordinary earthly king, but you're a, you're a divine king. They were recognizing in him the divinity that he possessed. They were recognizing in him that he was sent from God. And so while our personal treasures help show our allegiance to King Jesus here on this earth, what can we give that would represent to God that we recognize that you are, that you are divine, that you are from God, that you're sent from God, that you are God in our lives? I love Romans chapter 12, 1. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. I love this part. This is your spiritual act of worship. You know, most of the times when we think, when we hear the word worship, uh, we think to what we did when we sang a few songs a few moments ago. We think of the time in church where we sing together and, and we sing songs and maybe we clap hands, and maybe we lift hands and Maybe we think and reflect about the words in the songs, and for us, that's a time of worship, but 
Paul teaches us in a letter to the Romans that the lives we live should be lived in such a way that they're sacrifices to God because that's our spiritual act of worship. And so when we get down to it, the one thing that we can give to God that would help him understand that we recognize his divinity is that we live our lives in such a way that worship is at our heart and we give our very being as sacrifices to God. You know, there's this kind of view that, that if we follow God, if we follow Jesus, then he helps make our life better. But the true view that Paul teaches us here is that our lives should be lived in such a way to make God greater. And so it's not about what we can get from God, but it's about what we can sacrifice and give for him. And what Paul urges us is to let our lives be living sacrifices. Everything that we do, when we go into the office, when we go to the workplace, when we're with friends, when we're with family, when we're sitting around dinner tables, when we're in the living room, on the couch, when we're sleeping at night, how are we offering our very being as sacrifices to God? That's our spiritual act of worship. And that worship, helps God understand that we truly attribute divine qualities to him. There's this verse in 2 Corinthians, chapter number two, verse 15, that says, for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Did you know that when you live a life of worship, you are to God an aroma, a pleasing fragrant probably similar to the incense that would have been burned on the altar of incense. It would have given off a scent that would have been pleasing in our lives to Christ when lived sacrificially and with an act of worship is to Christ a pleasing aroma. And so this Christmas season, we can ask ourselves, are we living our lives in such a way to honor Christ as being one sent from God, as being divine, as not just being a leader worth following, but being our Lord, our Savior. Gold represents our allegiance to Christ as King. Frankincense represents our recognition that he is divine and not just any ordinary king. And then the most interesting gift of all would have been myrrh. Myrrh would have been more of a rare spice and many wealthy people would have possessed this for various reasons but one of the most common uses of myrrh in this time would have been in the burial process see in the day when they didn't have the techniques that we have today to preserve bodies they would take dead bodies and they would wrap them in cloths that would have been dipped in myrrh among other spices. And this myrrh would have allowed a fragrance to cover the odor of a decaying body that would have sealed in that body. And so the strangest and probably most honoring gift that the wise men gave to Jesus that day was a gift that recognized that he didn't come simply to rule, but he came to die. And they recognized that this was not just an ordinary child that would do great things potentially in this world, but this was a child that would ultimately give his life 
And in bringing this gift, they said, we recognize that you were sent here for a reason and we recognize that there will come a day when you will give your life for all of mankind. And so, how can we recognize in our hearts and our gifts as we live our lives that Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection was important to us. It is something that we honor. This is actually the, I believe, the one and only thing that we can give God that he doesn't already have. The one thing that we can give God that he doesn't already have would be the reason he sent his son Jesus to die. And that would be for my sin. That would be for your sin. God's never known sin. God's never sinned. He's, he's never experienced falling into temptation. And Jesus lived a, a sinless life on this earth and God sent him to die for us. But when he hung on that cross for us, he took upon himself the sins of the world. And in doing so, the thing that he wants most for us is that we would give him the very thing that he came to take from us when he came to this earth. You know, I talk to a lot of people who have been around church and, and maybe who are trying to live for God. And one of the things that is kind of a common thread in a lot of conversations is the fact that we just as humans are flawed, that we're not worthy of God, that the lives that we've led have not pleased God and the sin that we possess in our lives is disgraceful to God. And there's this feeling that we can't go to God with our sin and so we try really hard to change who we are, to fix ourselves, to kind of get beyond some things that we struggle with in hopes that when we do that, we'll be presentable to God and so we can go before him and say, I've kind of taken care of a lot of things and now I come to you as a person who's worthy to be in your presence. And I don't want to burst, bust any bubbles here today, but you'll never on your own be righteous enough for God to look at you and be impressed. That you'll never overcome enough sin in your life for Jesus to look at you and say, wow, he's done really well. Like, I'm really proud of him. The thing that he wants from us the most is for us to stop trying to fix things on our own and to stop embracing sin and to stop trying to fix sin ourselves and to give it to him. First John 1, 9, one of my life verses because of the importance that it plays in my everyday life. It says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You want to give God a gift that honors him this Christmas season? Give him the very thing that he came to take. Because though he's paid the price for all of our sins, past, present, and future, until we receive forgiveness from him, then we hold on to the very thing that he came to take from us. And he doesn't want us to live with the penalty and the power of sin present in our life on a daily basis. You can receive forgiveness from God. And that's the very thing, that's the one and only thing that you can give God that he didn't first give you and that he doesn't already have. So this Christmas season, I would say that we need to spend some time making sure that we search our hearts, that we confess any sin that may be in our life, and we allow him to take from us the very thing that he came 
to take from us. Unfortunately, there's, there's a lot of people in the church today, in our society in general, that, that kind of glance over sin as if sin isn't a big thing. It's not important. It's not necessary for us to stop sinning. And, and I just want to leave us kind of with a verse that hopefully in your heart will, will just stir you to recognize Christ for who he is and embrace the reason that he gave his very life. This is Hebrews chapter number six, verses four through six. It says, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. You know, when Jesus hung on that cross, that hill called Calvary, it's a pretty disgraceful thing for him. He was naked, he was beaten, he was bruised, he was mocked. People hurling insults at him and, and he went in front of all the world and embraced this insult, this disgraceful act for you and for me. And he hung there vulnerable in front of a group of people that disrespected him, hated him, betrayed him. And scripture teaches us that when we just glance over sin, when we just look the other way, when we embrace sins, when we know that God has called us not to do it, that we are subjecting him over again to that public disgrace, that we are dishonoring him, that we are crucifying him all over again. How, how shameful would it be for him to hang on a cross once for us and then us flippantly overlook the sacrifice that he made for us and embrace certain sins in our lives and overlook the importance of repenting and changing and and allowing God to take from us the very thing that he came to take for us. And, and by embracing and turning from what we know to be right, we subject Christ over again to that public disgrace. When I read this verse as a teenager, it kind of changed the way I thought about my responsibility as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. And the importance of me understanding that, that when I embrace sin, when I embrace sins in my life, when I allow sins to remain in my life, and I don't turn from them, and I don't confess them, and I don't ask God to forgive me of them, then it's as if I'm taking Jesus and putting him back up on a cross and, and driving nails into his hands and driving nails into his feet, hurling insults at him as if what he came to do, his very purpose, was in vain as far as we're concerned. If you want to give God a good gift, if you want to return to him something that would honor him, that's what he wants. He wants your sin. He wants you to be freed from the very thing that he died for. He's already paid the price for it. Why would we hold on to it? Because in so doing it, we crucify him over and over again. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Our treasures, lives of worship, and our sin. The very thing that he came to die for. I think that is Jesus' wish list. I think that he desires this Christmas 
for all of us to recognize that he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And that in our lives, as represented by our treasures, which is an indicator of our very hearts, there would be an allegiance to King Jesus. That we would give him a place in stewardship. That we would give him a place in giving that would honor him. That through worship, frankincense, we would live lives as living sacrifices. That everything that we go about to do, we try to live a life of worship, knowing that it's a pleasing aroma unto Christ when we live lives of worship. And that the very thing that he came to give his life for, we would give myrrh, recognizing that he died for us. And we would give him our sins. We'd not hold on to the very things that he came to take from us, and we would not embrace something that he wants us to be freed from, but we would release those things to him. And at its heart, this Christmas, if you can give of your treasures, if you can give of your worship, if you can give of your sin to God, I think that would be honoring and good gifts. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for who you are and what you've done. Thank you for this example of gifts that the Magi gave to you. Gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, recognizing that you are the king, that you're divine, that you came to die. I pray, Lord, that we would live lives that would give good gifts to you. We know that you don't need anything from us. We know that you have everything that you would ever want. But we can... We can pledge our allegiance to you through submitting our treasures to you. And we can live lives that worship you as living sacrifices. We don't have incense that we put on an altar that we burn before you night and day because we ourselves are living sacrifices and the lives that we live honor you. And the sins that you came to die for, ultimately, Lord, you just you want to take those from us. Help us to never embrace sin in light of the sacrifice that you made from us and arrogantly throw in your face that what you did wasn't good enough for us. And so we confess and we give and we worship in such a way that we pray would honor you this Christmas season. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.